Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 24, Robert William Picton, a.k.a. The Pig Farmer. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works. This week's episode number 24 is all about Robert William Picton. He is also known as Willie, which I will be calling him throughout the episode, or the pig farmer. You probably have heard of him if you're into true crime because he is one of Canada's most infamous serial killers. He's killed at least 49 known women until he was eventually stopped. Now, usually I tend to cover more lesser known cases, but this one is just something I've always been interested in. And I just wanted to do some research and put this out there for you guys. So it's a little change of pace for you. I don't have any announcements, so let's just get right into the episode. Robert William Picton was born October 24th, 1949 to Louise and Leonard Picton. And they were poor farmers living in rural Canada. He had an older sister who was a year ahead of him and a younger brother named Dave who was a year younger than him. His father was not involved in raising the children. His mother, Louise, was known for being a tough mother and she also worked a lot. She ran the family meat business and supervised the kids, making sure that they put in long hours looking after the animals and taking care of them even on school days. They were also expected to slaughter the animals. He supposedly told his fellow students that he was really upset because he had to slaughter a pet calf that he raised himself from its birth, and he seemed to never get over that. He didn't really do well in school. He struggled with it and spent years in special education classes until he finally quit halfway through high school. He didn't really date or anything like that in high school because girls weren't interested in him because of his personal hygiene and the fact that he had to take care of the animals before school and usually did not smell very good. And his clothes were also never clean. Willie's family life was also not very good. His mother was often controlling and overbearing. There's a story of one time when his brother Dave was learning how to drive And then on October 16, 1967, Dave was 16 years old. He just got his driver's license, so he took his father's truck and went for a drive. One of the neighborhood kids named Tim was walking down the road, and Dave slammed into him and ran him over. Dave knew that he was badly hurt, so he went home in a panic and told his mother what happened. Louise stopped what she was doing and hurried over to see the boy. She looked at him, and then after that, she leaned down and rolled and shoved him to the edge of a mound that ran along the side of the road and pushed him in it. She then turned around and went home. So instead of taking care of this boy and getting him some kind of medical help, she just pushed him into this mound and went on with her day. And of course, Dave was so frightened by this, he took the truck to a mechanic and the mechanic repaired the car, but he did not do the painting because he realized that something was off. 
Tim's parents, of course, realized that Tim was not home, and they called the police, who were able to find him, and unfortunately, he was dead. Somehow, they found out that Dave was responsible for what happened, and the verdict was it was an accidental death, but Dave was still sent to juvenile court. His record was sealed because he was a minor, and Luis was never charged, but many people around the area knew about what happened, and Willie even told the story about what happened to his friends. So that sums up what his family life was like. It was not very good, as you can see, and his mother, you know, had her own struggles probably, and his dad really wasn't involved in any kind of the parenting so he did not have a healthy, normal childhood. The children also didn't socialize much with other children. Louise felt differently about her daughter, Linda. She was able to go to parties and Sunday school activities, things like that, while her brothers were not, and they were left on the farm working. Willie's adult life was not much better. By the end of the 1970s, Leonard and Louise both died of cancer shortly after each other. After his parents died, Willie and his siblings inherited the farm. Now, they were actually able to sell off parts of it to housing estates and other development companies that would go on to make shopping centers and things of that nature. This was pretty successful for them. They actually were able to make millions of dollars from this. You know how valuable land can be sometimes. So this should have been a good thing for Willie, but it really wasn't. It didn't really change his life that much. He was still a loner, and he lived alone in a trailer on the property. The three siblings also neglected the farm after this point. They really didn't have any interest in the business anymore. They seemed to be more interested in partying and having a good time. They actually started this nonprofit, and it was called the Pinky Palace Good Time Society. And on paper, they claimed to organize charity events and give the money back, but in reality, they just partied. And by partying, I mean really, really wild parties. They had sometimes thousands of people that would come in and party with them. And there were a lot of sex workers and even biker gang members that would come and party with them. Sometimes these parties would get so out of hand that neighbors would complain about the noise. And eventually, in the year 2000, Piggy's Palace was shut down for good. Now, when Willie would dispose of animal waste parts, he went to a rendering plant, and this plant was near Vancouver's downtown east side neighborhood. And it was a pretty rough area of the city. And it was known for crime, poverty, drug use, homelessness, and prostitution. Many of the women who worked as prostitutes in the area were often subjected to abuse by everyone. And sadly, they did not trust anyone else, especially authorities. Willie would offer some of these women money and or drugs to take them back to his place. Over time, girls would start to go missing. And there even became rumors that a serial killer was operating in the area. But the Vancouver police refused to say this because of a number of reasons. There were no bodies, first of all, so they really couldn't 
speculate on what happened, if anything. They said that many of these women probably either moved and or died from a drug overdose. The women were also scared of authorities, so they did not come forward to say what they thought was going on. On March 22, 1997, Willie took a woman back to his farm and tried to handcuff her against her will, but she got a knife and was able to stab him. She was able to leave and then wave down a car and go to the hospital. Willie also went to the same hospital to receive treatment for his stabbing. A hospital worker actually found a key in his pocket that fit the woman's handcuffs. So he was arrested and charged with attempted murder, assault with a weapon, and forcible confinement. Eventually, the charges were dropped because the woman was not considered a good witness because of her drug use. Willie also claimed that she was a hitchhiker who attacked him. And I have no idea how they were able to explain the handcuffs, but yeah. In 1999, an informant told the Vancouver police that a woman named Lynn saw a body at the farm. She denied it at first, but many, many years later, she would admit that it was true. And she said that she did not go forward with this because she was scared of Wally, and also because he provided her with drugs that she needed. Again in 1999, a man named Bill Hiscox, who worked at the farm, said that a woman named Lisa Yields, who was Willie's friend, told Bill that she had seen women's clothing and belongings at the farm. She would deny this when the authorities asked her about it. And the authorities did not have enough evidence for a search warrant, so they had to let it go. How exactly Willie killed his victims is not entirely known to the public. There is a witness on tape that says that Willie claimed to bring his victims to the farm, handcuff them, rape them, then kill them by strangling. He would then gut them and run them through the wood chipper and feed their remains to his pigs. There is another claim out there that says his victims were ground, resulting in mints with the pork mints from the farm, and these packages were given to Willie's friends and family. There's a documentary on the Biography channel that says that Willie would lure his victims to his farm by saying he would use their services or providing them with drugs. Then during sex, he would become violent and accuse them of something like stealing from him. And he would just become so enraged that he would restrain them, kill them by strangling or shooting them, and then butcher their bodies. He is not the only serial killer to have disposed of his victims and then feed them to other animals or humans, if this is the case. A man named Joe Ball, who is also known as the Alligator Man, is believed to have fed his victims to five alligators that he had on his property. There are also other serial killers who are said to have done this. A German serial killer named Fritz Harman, who was known as the Bircher of Hanover, would cut his victims' bodies into strips of flesh and sell them as pork. 
which is very disturbing. Some of Pictum's early victims were Mammy Lee Frey, Georgina Faith Pappen, Tiffany Drew, Sarah DeVries, and Cynthia Felix. In 2001, one of his later victims was a woman named Serena Abbotsway, who was 29 years old. And then after that, another victim was Mona Lee Wilson, who went missing in November 2001 after a visit to the doctor. Willie would continue his spree. And by this time, there were a lot of women missing, and this was starting to get noticed by the authorities. In 2001, the Vancouver police founded a task force to investigate the missing women. In the year 2002, a man named Scott Chubb, who was a former truck driver for the farm, said that he saw illegal weapons on the farm. So this was enough for the police to get a warrant, and they did that, and they raided the farm. And they did find illegal guns, and they also found items of some of the missing women. Willie was then arrested on the weapons charges and released on bail, and he was ordered to not return to the farm, and he was also kept under surveillance. The police got another warrant and searched again, and then they found an inhaler from one of the victims, and DNA testing also found blood of another one of the victims. So, on February 22nd, 2002, Willie was arrested and charged with murder on two counts. While he was in jail during this time, he shared a cell with an undercover officer, and he told this man that he killed 49 women, and he actually wanted it to be an even 50. He, of course, didn't know this was an undercover officer. He thought it was just another inmate. His farm became the largest crime scene in Canada history, and they took over 200,000 DNA samples and recovered a lot of evidence. And this would cost about $70 million. On December 9, 2007, Willie Picton was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole for 25 years. And this was the maximum punishment for second-degree murder. His convictions were upheld by Canada Supreme Court in 2010. On August 4, 2010, prosecutors agreed not to proceed with more charges, as it would not add anything to his sentence. And some of the families of the victims were happy that they didn't have to go through a trial, and some were probably upset that they couldn't get justice for their daughter. Now, in the year 2016, an autobiography by Picton, which was called Picton in his own words, was supposedly written by Picton himself. It was smuggled out of prison and later published. It was put on Amazon.com for sale, but eventually it was removed because of public outrage. In 2010, an inquiry was established to look at this case and examine how it was handled by the authorities. And in 2012, they issued their final report, and it was titled Forsaken. And it said that there were blatant failures by the police. 
And it said that this led to a, quote, tragedy of epic proportions, end quote. Following the report, the police implemented several changes to help the missing person investigations. The missing persons unit was made a regular part of the department, and investigations are required to begin right away, and family members are advised and consulted before any release of information, and the case is kept open until the missing person is located. I think what's the most interesting about this case is how he was able to go for so long and have so many victims without being detected by the police. And another thing is this was pretty recent. I mean, he didn't get caught till the early 2000s. And really, this kind of serial killer work isn't as common now because of things like DNA testing and stuff like that. But unfortunately, the fact that Willie chose his victims because they were, you know, working as prostitutes and drug users, that the authorities at this time did not take these crimes as seriously as they should have. And that's really sad because these are people too. And it's just so sad that this kind of stuff happened. And it happened pretty recently also. Many of these women just fell on hard times. And it was really tragic how they were targeted and killed by Robert Picton. So that is the case of Robert Picton, a.k.a. the pig farmer. And unfortunately, it's a very sad case. And it's really sad that this kind of stuff went on for many years when it could have been caught earlier. But hopefully everyone learned from what happened and authorities take these crimes more seriously in the future. Thank you for listening to True Crime Works. I'm your host, Ash. And remember, you can follow me on Instagram at True Crime Works. And if you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can send me an email, truecrimeworks at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you next week.